0: those up and follow along with me, give you a chance uh, just to uh, kind of learn as we go through it. And if you uh, learn better by listening, I want to encourage you that any way uh, that we can make that easier for you, that's, uh, that's why we do everything that we do. We want you to get this. We think it is life-changing. Well, that sounds pretty serious, though, just life-changing, but it's true. Uh, I think you will really enjoy it. Uh, quick, quick word uh, all of our campuses, uh, all of our teens are up at uh, youth camp this weekend, and um, I, it, it's one of the largest that we've ever done, but just the excitement of, of the kids that were heading to camp was incredible. They sold out the camp, had to find extra transportation to, uh, to get the kids up there. I love things like that. We were just praying downstairs um, uh, before the start of the service together, and just asking the Holy Spirit that they would come back fire-breathing radicals. And then I thought to myself, why aren't we praying that prayer for ourselves? Why, why rely on a camp? That should be happening with all of us all the time. So, uh, just good report there, and, and excited for, for what the Lord's doing on all of our campuses. Uh, the series is called Genesis. We're just in the second week of it. If you're tuning in for the very first time, it's a great weekend to jump in. Uh, I won't spend much review time with it at all. I had a, I had a doctor's appointment earlier this week, and uh, I, I share openly with my doctor um, my faith, and he's a believer, and uh, um, just, just kind of a neat connection that's happened between the two of us. But I invited him to, uh, to tune into the live stream. So uh, on the chance that uh, he's listening right now, he said he would try, I want to welcome... Everybody that's live streaming us, not just at our campuses, but right now, those that will be listening, live stream uh, via now or later this week. We are glad every one of you are part of the greater JFC family. I'm going to read a large, larger, not a, not a super large, but a larger portion of scripture tonight. Uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do in, in the series right here, we're, we're talking uh, a little bit about some basic theological belief. Last week I taught a little bit on the idea of biblical uh, literacy and illiteracy that's happening today. Um, I, I won't spend much time going there, but I would encourage you to do this. Everything that we teach and everything that we put together, we put on our website and it's free. We never charge for anything that's on there when it comes to the material of what we teach we feel like the Lord has given uh, that website to us and all of the material has already been taken care of. So we put it on there and we make it available for you and we make it available really for anybody out there who needs it. So I would just encourage you to do this. If you missed last week, you might want to go back and listen to it, download it. You can listen to it directly from the website or you can download it to your iPod, however you would want to do that. But uh, I, I think it's it's one of these series that's going to build on itself week after week. And so last week we dealt with Genesis chapter 1. Today we're going to move into Genesis chapter 2. And I'm actually going to read verses 1 through 17. Now I, I was going to um uh just have us all do it together, but um I didn't I didn't get with the tech team in enough time to to tell them the version that I wanted. And so they they would they would have it, but they don't have it in the version that I want. We'll all start reading it, and you'll be reading it different than me, and that aggravates me. So um, uh, it just uh, is worth my peace of mind to have me read it, and you listen. So this is Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 17. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy... Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. There was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. "...breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon... It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. I always thought any gold was good, but apparently there's better gold here. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Ashur, And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So, Lord, we just ask that you would take uh, these words that you have written, that, God, you would cause the words of my mouth and the things that I'm about to talk about, cause them to be very understandable. The Bible says that pleasant words promote instruction. Lord, I would ask tonight that what is taught in here would cause great hunger for the things of God. God, I pray that it would cause great faith to rise up inside of our hearts. Lord, I pray, I believe that this is a word of deliverance tonight. And so I ask that, God, you would deliver your people. God, you would cause any area in our life that is not functioning as you created it to function. That you would cause anything in our life that has trapped us, held us back, or caused us, Father God, to live with anything less than what you've called us to. I ask that you break those things off of us tonight, that you cause us, Lord God, to move forward, cause us, Lord God, to be promoted, cause us, Father God, to move into the realm that you you call us to. Lord, I just pray tonight, the word of God, active and alive, would do what only it can do. And I thank you right now, I pray in Christ's name, if you believe that, say amen. Genesis 2, 4, and 5 in particular says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, there was no man to till the ground. I'd like to talk to you in the first part of our message about provision. I believe that verse 4 and 5 are probably some of the clearest scripture given on how provision works in scripture. So let me just ask quickly, identify the audience, and see whether or not you're excited about this. How many of you would love to have God's provision in your life? If you had any say over it whatsoever. Uh, let me, let me maybe, maybe this is a better way to start. I, I never think in terms of God dealing with us like this. I always think in terms of God dealing with us like this. Open-handed, ready. So why do you believe that? I believe that the work of Christ removed Any and all offense that stood between us and God, and it's a complete work. Anything now that we put between us and God is our own minds and our own lack of biblical understanding of the work of Jesus. Jesus' work is a complete work. He took care of every sin, every offense, all anger, everything that was wrong between us and God has been dealt with once and for all. So when it comes to the issue of provision, God is not some cosmic slot machine where you need to come up with the right combination in order to get him to pour out his blessing on your life. You don't have to pray the right prayer. You don't have to fast the right way. You don't have to read a certain amount of scripture. You don't have to attend church a certain amount of times. You don't have to let somebody in traffic. It's none of those things. None of those things. While they're all great things and they're good things and they can bring reward in your life. None of those things are necessary to have God bless you. I'm going to try that again. This is None of those things are... God has chosen to bless you because of what Christ has done. That's a very important statement right there. It's, it's, the, it's the difference in how you live your life and whether or not you really get grace, mercy, and love. Some people tend to think... That God's grace, mercy, and love are still uh, in direct proportion to how well we can perform in order to get. It. I- I'll make the statement one more time. If you are living for His smile rather than from His smile, your life will be very messed up. It's really, it, the, the semantics there are really important. Right, let, me, let me go down this, this way right here. I believe that this scripture begins to talk about God's provision. Uh, I think that if we if we understand how it works, then then we can allow some of these things. Uh, as far as we're we're able to position ourselves, we can we can see some of these things happen. So let me let me just jump in here. The Bible compares in verse four and five part of God's provision with a physical rain. Would you agree with me that physically speaking, rain is the provision of God? Yep. So, so how do you know that? Because without it, what happens? It's a terrible thing. Go go through the Bible and and look and see that that people prayed for rain because they understood rain is necessary not only to live, but in order for things to prosper. So in this particular passage right here, we see that part of God's provision for his people is rain. Now, I think that uh, obviously that's physical, but you recognize when in, in the New Testament... When they talk about the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God, they use the analogy of a spiritual rain. They use the idea that rain represents the outpouring of the Lord, of the blessing of the Lord on our lives. And I'm trying to connect the thought right here. Uh, I I think if you look at this scripture not only as a physical rain, but as a spiritual principle. That maybe I can can teach you some neat things tonight. Okay, number one, let me talk about rain and provision uh, and make this statement. Do you believe that God is on purpose with his provision? Do you think that God is sloppy or that God does things accidentally? Or do you think that God is very calculated on purpose and doesn't waste anything? I, I would submit to you, God does nothing by accident. I would submit to you that nothing that he's involved with just sort of happens and God, I don't think God is ever amazed At stuff he does. I think he's very intentional, very on purpose. And so I I just make the statement God is on purpose with his provision. All right, let me ask you the question. Do you think your life is a gift? Do you think your life is a gift? I would I would say to you, one of the greatest gifts that God has given you is your life. And I would make the statement that your life is part of God's provision. It's part of His blessing. It's part of what He's given to you. God is on purpose with His provision. I think you should be on purpose with His provision. I don't think you should ever waste God's blessing. I don't think you should ever squander what God does for you. I don't think you should take it for granted. I don't think you should act accidental. So let me connect two things. If God is on purpose with his provision, if your life is part of his provision, you should be on purpose with your life. You should not live accidentally. You should not live casually. You should not live like it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying you should be uptight, and I'm not saying that, that your whole life should just be like... Uh, if I'm not doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing every second of the day, then I'm squandering God's blessing. It's not what I'm You should enjoy your life. One of the ways to, to show God that you like what he's doing, enjoy his blessing. Now, I told this story multiple times. Whenever our teens hit 16, we had decided we wanted to bless them. We wanted to provide for them cars. Part of it was we had five of them, and it, we were tired of being the taxi service. <laughs> So when the first one at 16, it was like the greatest. She was excited. She got her car. Little did she know that the transferring of the taxi anointing was happening in her life. <laughs> but for every one of them, we, we, provided, we provided four of the five. We provided cars. One of them uh, unable to drive, uh, special needs. But, but for the other four, we provided cars for them. Um, here, here was the deal. If we gave them the keys to the car... And all they did were hang them up and talk about how nice the blessing was. But never actually got into the car, never actually drove the car around, never appreciated the car by using it. Would you you think that's a little weird? Agree with me? The best way to say thank you to God, the very best way to tell Him that you appreciate what He's done is to use what He's given you. Make use of it. Don't just go... Thank you for this, and then never actually drive it, never actually use it, never actually make use of it. If God has blessed you, act like it. If your life is a blessing, don't squander it. Don't just live anyway. Don't just go out and act like it doesn't matter where you go, what you think, how you study, how you work, how you're married, how you pray. Be on purpose with it. I think the greatest way to say thank you to God is to use what he's given us and use it in a way that's good and it's right. I tell this story. This scripture came alive to me. Has this ever happened to you? Read a scripture or read the Bible, maybe a particular thing, dozens of times, but that one time that you read it when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to it, has that ever happened to you? Where this is, when the Bible says it's living and alive, it's active, this is what makes the Bible different than every other book on the face of the earth. Amen. The Holy Spirit is in it so that there are times when... when do I sound excited right now? As I, like, I am excited. I told my wife, she's down right now, helping Amy with the baby go, go to the graduate level of the NICU. And I told her, you're going to miss a good message. I was excited about, if the pastor doesn't feel like it's a good message, God help everybody else listening to it. I mean, that, that at least should be a given. All right, let, let, me, let me just say, um, when this scripture came alive to me we, when we felt like God told us to start the church. I won't, won't, won't rehearse this. My position just simply was this. I was a staff pastor at a really great church. I loved my job. My family, for the first time, in ministry was in a decent place financially. My, my first three jobs, the first job that I was offered, I was offered $20,000, and I had to pay all my taxes, all my insurance. Churches work different. Churches are exempt from, from Social Security. So you, you complain about the 7.5%, go to work for a church, you pay 15%. So my first job was $20,000, And you pay all your taxes and you pay your insurance. But I wanted to be in the ministry so bad that I thought, what a deal. Got you, suckers. And so I was was excited. My second job was $24,000. And I thought I hit pay dirt when I made it to 30. Some of you are sitting here like, man, I wish I'd hit 30. You, yeah. What's wrong with you? Why is it if a pastor talks about money, everybody just gets afraid? <laughs> do I abuse it? Do I ever do anything weird with it? On, on the contrary, I go to the other side of it. I, I just breathe, just relax. Go ahead and get your wallet out. We're going to take up an offering here. And just say, no, I, I'm totally kidding. Here's, here, so. It was, it was not until I had been in the ministry um, 10, 11, 12 years that my family, uh, we, we were finally in a position to, to buy a house. We were finally in a position to, we had been a one car family. I mean, we just, it was, it was not gravy train city under any stretch of the imagination. And so we, it, it was not until I had been in the ministry for a, a pretty long period of time, gone to this really great church in northern Colorado, finally began to, to see um, prosperity happen for my family's sake, and then the Lord calls me to go start a church. <laughs> and I, I don't know about you. Some of you probably are like this. Whatever God tells you to do, you probably don't argue, don't have any problem with it. You're probably like two steps up front of God. Probably, whenever he tells you to do something, you're probably just like, I've just been waiting. It's probably just easy for you. For me, it wasn't. I argued. I remember telling the Lord, How, what, how can I do this? How, what am I? Nobody wants me down there. There's no building to go to. Nobody's calling for me to go down there. I don't know how to do How am I going to do this? So I remember telling the Lord, Some of you remember my story. I told the Lord, Give me $100,000. I sat down. I calc- how much would it cost to start a church? So I put together. Every piece of equipment I could think of and and what it would cost to rent a school out and and insurance and the whole thing. And I said, God, uh, give me $100,000 and I can start this church. And have you ever prayed and heard the crickets of heaven? (laughs) Do you you know what I'm saying when I say that? God's not talking back. Crick, 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 crick. Okay, but I'm a man of faith. Man of faith. So I went to God and I said, I'll cut it in half. $50,000. I go to Denver. I'm like, cut it in half again 25,000 and wrestle, wrestle, wrestle I mean look bottom line is you can say whatever you want to about how faith works and about how God provides for us but I I don't know about you there are just those times to where you can't if God's going to do it it's going to be a miracle and I couldn't look and see it coming from any place so even if you want me to go do it if you don't you can't write to public service and go God told me to start a church, so I need you to give me the electricity. Public service doesn't care about that. Don't believe me? Write it on your bill this week and find out if they care. Well, they care, but not the way you think they care. <laughs> so I got into this position. I just like, got, just it, it went so far past being able to figure out how to do it. I just had to decide, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? And I remember coming to this place, wrestling and struggling. No one had an answer for me. No one giving me the money to go do it. It was just between God and I, and I finally came to the place where, out of frustration, even said to the Lord, okay, if you want us to starve, fine. We'll go do it. That does not sound like a big faith thing. You know, now you look at it, you're like, oh, guy must have had faith to go start it from nothing. I didn't have faith. I had frustration, and I had God just kind of like Do whatever you want to, but if you've ever been to that place where you know if you don't take the step, you know your life is drying up at that point. It was not a heaven hell issue, it was not a does God love me issue, but it was I would not have been walking in a pleasing manner before the Lord because without faith it's impossible to please God. I remember arguing with him, just coming to that place where I surrendered said, I'm going to do it. And it was right then. I was sitting at a table. I was sitting in a room by myself. This scripture leaped off the page. It says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground. I remember the Lord telling me specifically, if you are looking where the provision is in order to go, that's where I'm supposed to go. It does not work that way when I'm calling you to a place of faith. And this is what the Lord showed me. I do not waste my provision. I will not cause it to rain if the man is not in place. I just gave you a treasure. Some of you, here's how it works in life. You be honest with me. We want to move in the blessing of God. So what we look for is, God, where's it raining? And I'll go there. And here's how it works. You go there and it'll rain. Did you hear me? At some level, your willingness to believe God is tested when it comes to provision. If it were just that easy, then everybody would prosper. Does God want you to prosper? Yes. How do you know it? Because Jesus made it possible. And when I say prosper... The gospel today has turned into a gospel of acquisitiveness when you talk about prosperity. People equate their checkbook and their cash flow. And while that is a part of prosperity, prosperity is not simply money. Prosperity is your spiritual life. It is how you are growing spiritually and whether the life of God is flowing in you. So I would ask you this question right now. How are you prospering spiritually? How do you feel your spiritual is it raining in your life are you in a drought if you're in a drought I would say to you a drought is a curse it may be used to get your attention so be smart and give them your attention don't live in perpetual drought God is on purpose with his provision. He never wastes it. In other words, you can't look. If you just go, God, if you'll just cause it to rain there, I'll know I'm supposed to go. If you're not there, it's a waste of his provision. It hits the ground without anybody there to take care of what he's doing. Do I make any sense? In dealing, be specifically, dealing with colleges with my sons recently. Where do I go to school? I don't know, what is God saying to you? You're at an age right now where you need to learn, it's time for you to tell me what God is saying. With a spouse, how significant is the decision of who you marry? I don't know if you're hurt over that question as I asked it just now. How significant is it? do you agree it's huge? How do you know you're supposed to hear from God? Is that foreign? Well, let me... I don't want this to be about marriage right now, so I'm going to move on. God is on purpose with his provision... You've got to learn to be on purpose with your life. How about this? You must learn to position yourself for provision. Can I make this statement? Anybody in this room who has ever experienced the blessing of God, tell me if this is true or not. One day of heaven's favor is worth a lifetime of your labor. God can do more for you in one day than you can do your whole life. If you have not applied that practice to your business, to your marriage... To your spiritual life, to anything that you're doing, you are making you're making your life hard, harder than it needs to be. One day of heaven's favor is worth a lifetime of your labor. Learn to position yourself for provision. Uh, we make this this statement as pastors. We joke around. There is some truth to it. We, we say. Um, position yourself when someone's teaching to receive from the teaching if you're into it act like you're into it get close open your ears get your pen out get your notes out position yourself to receive some people just sit back and go man if if you ever had anything worth saying I'd be excited (laughs) how about this Put yourself in the position first. Uh, I'm not going to argue. Uh, just let me let me just go here. God is looking for co-laborers. He partners with us. If your attitude is, if God wants to bless me, if God wants to prosper me, if God wants this, if this message is true, God can do anything, He can come and bless me. I assure you, God does want to bless you, and the proof of that is the work of Jesus. But I also assure you, as as much as I'm standing right here, God is looking for co-laborers in the harvest. God does what he does, but he wants you to do what you do. Position yourself. Be a co-laborer in the harvest, in provision with him. All right, I... I, uh, it is worthy of me spending a lot of time talking about the issue of provision. But I divided, we have seven weeks to do this series. And so I divided into bigger rocks and just said I'm going to have to spend a little time hitting here. I have to go a little bit over here. So I, there is so much more to teach on that right there. Sometimes I think to myself, I should open up just a teaching opportunity midweek and just spend time taking two or three verses and just like that right there. How much truth could be mined from that right there? I would submit to you four or five weeks I could teach from that right there. Genesis 2. 8 through 9, 15 through 17, though, I'm going to move on here. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow. that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. Okay, let me, let me talk to you about two trees. I believe that these were two literal trees. But I think that they also provide a powerful analogy for life today. I would divide it or say it in a sentence this way. It would be the life of God Versus the knowledge of good and evil. The life of God. Versus the knowledge of good and evil. Okay let me speak to that very quickly. Uh, Maybe the scripture. That I say to myself. In almost every situation I go through. Now I don't know. Perhaps this isn't true for you. Perhaps you never struggle with this. Perhaps you never find yourself. This is not ever an issue for you. But for me in particular. uh, I find that offense tries to come my way. A lot. Anybody else ever have that issue have? Do you ever find throughout the day something offensive wants to come and try to enter your life? Does that ever happen to you? Does it happen to you multiple times a day? Now, if you are a person who is fortunate enough to just go, man, my life is so perfect. My wife and my children never do anything to offend me, to hurt my feelings, then I would submit, "You're the one in the relationship." <laughs> that causes the problems." <laughs> Proverbs 4:23 says, "Above all else," said this 500 times standing up here. When the Bible takes the time to say, above all else, how important is it? If if the word of God is, is what I say it is, because it's what God says it is, if it is the rule for how to live your life, if it is his love letter to you, then when that love letter says, above all else, it should be important to you. You lean forward. You wipe sleep out of your eyes. You open your heart and you pay attention. Above all else, what? Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Jesus Jesus said this powerful truth. He said, it's impossible for offenses not to come. If you're living your life trying to live it in such a manner where no one can offend you or where there's no opportunity for it to happen, I would say to you, you're spending an incredible amount of energy doing something that's impossible. You cannot position your life where you can keep offenses from coming because Jesus himself said it's impossible for offenses not to come. But this is true. Just because they come your way does not mean you have to pick them up, love them, cuddle them, feed them, nurse them, adopt them, name them, adopt them, bring them into your house, and let them grow up. What the old standard, uh, Richard Roberts wrote a book called, If You Catch Hell, Let It Go. Do <laughs> you like the simplicity of that title? I like that because many times when hell comes my way, I don't let it go. I tend to pick up the offense. Anybody. Yeah. Then my, my heart gets ugly and I get an attitude I get bitter. I get sideways. I don't understand. I get judgmental. I get critical. And then I get full of death. What kind of death? This kind of death that God said. When God said, of every tree of the garden, you can freely eat except the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. They ate of that fruit. Did they die on that day? They poisoned themselves. They died spiritually, but they poisoned themselves. Let me me give you a powerful analogy. Of, of this truth. I, I wrote this down. I thought this was just... This this like made so much sense to me. One of the reasons we must guard our hearts... Is because a tool of the enemy is to use bitterness. What is bitterness? Bitterness is the byproduct or the fruit of unforgiveness. When you refuse to forgive somebody... It will turn into bitterness. Bitterness is poison that works this way. You drink the poison waiting for someone else to die. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you drink the poison, expecting it to kill someone else. Yeah. Do you get that? And the Bible warns us then explicitly on the very idea, above all else, guard your heart. When our lives end up in places where it's messed up, and our spiritual lives are messed up, and our minds are messed up, And we're sideways, we can't read our Bible, we can't hear from God, we sit in a message like this, and and it just offends us. What is that? Your heart is messed up. When you say that to a person whose heart is messed up, they don't go, thank you for telling me that. (laughs) I'm so glad you pointed that out to me today. I don't know where my mind has been, but you make it so clear and easy for me to understand. It comes across like this. You're messed up. No, not you. No, no, no. Bree, Bree goes, I know. No, I'm not saying no. No, you're not. No. Look, we can't have this conversation right now. It's not. No. Above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Listen to me. In direct proportion to how your spiritual life is, I challenge you, it's in direct proportion to how your heart is. They are inter, forever, connected together. Okay, where are you trying to go with this message? God was teaching, even back then, here's the two trees. There is the tree of life. It is the life of God. You get to choose if you eat of that tree every day. When people go, this is not my fault, I'm submitting to you right now. You cannot control what people do, but you do get to control what you do with what people do. You do get to control that. So you never want to give up that control. When I tell you your life is a blessing and it's the provision of God, and I say live on purpose, one of the ways I would say it's important then, when stuff happens to you, be on purpose about what happens to that stuff. Don't let your heart be the planting Of the rotten seeds that the enemy has planned for you that day. Be on guard to stop those seeds from getting in your heart. So that you, not only do you knock the enemy backwards. But you allow the kingdom of God to explode inside of you. Dang, that's good. (laughs) Here's the original lie. The original lie. You can be like God. Knowing. The difference between good and evil. Here's the original truth you cannot be like God. You cannot handle it. You are not able to sit in judgment. You are not in a position to sit there and to take everything in and be okay. It does not work like that, it will pollute your heart. One of the things that Paul teaches when it comes to the very issue of love, what love does is to believe the best. That means love has to choose to intentionally be innocent when all the evidence points to guilt. Now, somebody tell me the truth. How hard is it to choose innocence? Be honest with me right now. See, we hear a message like this, anybody in this room goes, well, I'll just go out of here and do it. Okay, go do it. Big boy, go do it and come tell me next week how it went. Go be good. Paul says whenever we use the flesh to tame the flesh, we entice the flesh. You can't go do this. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. It would take the miraculous power of God to raise a person from the dead it takes the miraculous power of God to live the Christian life. The reason believers leave the same way they walked in, the reason that they're full of bitterness and ugliness and darkness, they're going to heaven, based on in the work of Jesus, but their life is messed up. They are miserable. They are not happy. They are critical. They can point out all the wrong. What is going on there? They have not guarded their hearts. They are not choosing innocence. They are proving they can't do it. They've bought into the lie. You can be like God. You cannot.
1: Good. Did you hear?
0: Hmm. Yeah, you cannot handle judgment and pride. Your heart will become polluted and it will ruin your life. God say the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. How about this? There are some death is worse than physical death. What would that be? To be dead before you die. Do you hear me? Are there people dead before they quit breathing? Spiritual death is slow working, methodical. Poison. You have to choose. Say that with me. Choose. Choose. One more time. Choose. Choose. Castle Rock, choose. Highlands Ranch, choose. You're listening in your car, choose. You must choose to be innocent, not stupid. (laughs) There is a difference. There is a difference. You choose innocence. What is innocence? Defined, I would say to you, it is believing the best. Believe the best. God, there's so much I want to teach there. How about this? Here's the metaphor. Jesus is the tree of life. When you choose innocence, what are you choosing? You're choosing life in Jesus. Are you born again? Did you, do you come to church because it methodically touches your conscience or do you come here because you recognize you need a living Savior to deliver you from all of your stuff every day? Some people pray a prayer one time. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I recognize my need for you. Let me tell you how it really works. You needed a Savior the day you came to Him and you've needed Him every day since then. Something in our brain Clicks that after we pray that prayer, okay God, now watch what i 'm going to do for you let me let me say something i 'm excited about we 've got a, a ministry that we that we're we 're ready to bring to market we 've tested it behind the scenes it 's now out of beginning phases. is called sozo, S-O-Z-O. Sozo in the Greek means to save, heal, and deliver. It's Holy Spirit-led, freedom and wholeness-based. It teaches people how to discern God's voice and his thoughts towards them and their lives. If you would be interested in checking this out, you've got a pen, prayer.jfc.org, prayer.jfc.org. Let me give you four spiritual DNA markers for a person who needs deliverance in their life. When I say deliverance, don't think a thousand demons invade my body. That is not what I want you to think. Who would need deliverance? If you are stuck, you need to be delivered. If you have attitudes you cannot overcome, You need to be delivered. If you are bitter, and no matter how many times you have said, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, but you are unable to forgive, you need to be delivered. Do you hear me? If you're stuck, man, I just want to teach right now. I remember one winter day, I watched this woman drive her car right into a snowbank, And by the time I could park my car and get over to help her, this other dude beat me to the deal. And it was one of those ones where you leave your house. I was going to pick up one of the kids. I left my house with uh, slippers on, shorts, and it is snowing. There's a blizzard going on. And so this woman runs right into the snowbank. She gets stuck. And my first thought was, drive on. Pray for her, but drive on. (laughs) anybody real in the room come on I was pray for but then I said no go back so I pull the car over I get out you know and I'm running on snows in my slippers (laughs) shorts on and a t-shirt and by the time I get there guys already there so he motions for the woman to roll down her window she does it and he begins to give her a driving lesson and I could see her just (laughs) you ever been there So I kind of stepped up, and I just said, hey, why don't you and I just push her out? The guy's like, okay. You could see that immediately the temperature goes right back down. So we push her out. Off she goes. She's fine. She did not need a driving lesson. She just needed to get unstuck. She knew how to drive. She just made a mistake. Life caught her. Accident happened. She just needed to get unstuck. Look at me. I'm not trying to give you a driving lesson. I am not trying to criticize you. I am not trying to tell you that you're this or that. I'm trying to say, if you're stuck, let me help push you out. Does that make any sense? Yep. Four quick DNA markers. How do you know you need to be delivered? If you need inner healing, if you're hurting, if when you read the Bible, it's not helping. If when you pray, it's not working. Listen to me. Quit being a phony. God is able. He is a deliverer. You need help. Let's get you unstuck. How about this? If everything that we talk about seems really complicated, here's the truth. The gospel is simple. It's good news. God can work Fast. And he is effective. When do you know you need deliverance? When you need someone to help you find and deal with issues in minutes, not years. How do you know you need to be delivered? When you finally recognize that you need to remove hindrances in relationships with God ...or other people around you. JFC... .jfc ...prayer.jfc.org... ...prayer.jfc.org... ...it's an application process. Jesus didn't work by application. We're not Jesus. We're trying. It's our goal, our ambition. It's everything that we are... ...but we believe that Jesus can set you free. We believe that God... ...wants to encourage this message... I don't know how teaching in the second chapter of Genesis I get off into deliverance other than the Holy Spirit is really cool at the way he does stuff. And if you sit here as an embittered believer, stop it now. No, please listen to me. Stop it now. Quit living this second-rate, uncalled-for, cursed life. Do you believe that the provision of God is yours? Position yourself for provision. I'll just close with this. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Of the wicked. Stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a... What did we just talk about? Jesus is the tree of life. Put two and two together. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. These four words. Whatever he does. Whatever he does. So one more time. Whatever he does. Here's the Bible saying, this man, this woman, who walks in this place, positions themselves, prospers. If you think I preach some prosperity gospel message to you, my goodness, did you get deceived just now. I preached a biblical prosperity to you that says, when you allow Jesus to be the tree of life, everything you do prospers. Would you trade your life for that life? Heck yeah. Would you? Is that happening in you? Let's just be real for a minute. Are you being set free? Are you walking in this? Do you find yourself full of bitterness and judgment and condemnation and ugliness? Are you stuck with all the things that people have done to you or that life has done to you or that your own mind has done to you? You have judgment against God. People can't judge God. People just got all day long as being unfair, or not good, or unfaithful. And when that happens, man, your heart will get into a very ugly place, and when that happens, it controls your life. The power of the gospel does not change your past. It alters your future. If you are not living this life, then the enemy has skillfully derailed you. And I would lay track to help you get back on direction. Make sense? Get on direction. Get where you're supposed to be. It's the power of the gospel. He calls you to prosper, to live, to dine at his table.